0: Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here today. So thankful that you've chosen to be here and to worship with us. Uh, Thanks to all of you that have joined us online. Really grateful that you are here. We are in a series in the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 7 this morning, Romans chapter 7, uh, all the way from verse 7 to chapter 8, verse 2. So Romans chapter 7, verse 7, all the way to chapter 8. Verse 2, sort of while you're turning there, getting situated in your copy of God's Word, uh, I want to invite you to something Kate already invited you to, but I want to ha- sort of highlight it. Um, this Wednesday, 6.30 to 8 p.m., in this room, we're going to meet to pray. And particularly, particularly this Wednesday, I want to spend half that time talking to you a little bit about the uh, Israel and Palestinian conflict, and then the second part of that, praying over all of it and its ramifications and, and we need to intercede. That's, that's what we can do is we can intercede uh, as prayer warriors. And so if 6.30 on Wednesday is usually hard, you're trying to get here from work or whatever, uh, if you can get, get off just a little bit earlier and you can get here by 6.30, uh, we're, I think this is gonna be a really important time. Uh, One, to lean into the issues from a biblical perspective, but then two, to pray for so many that are going through such difficulty. And uh, so uh, I hope that you can be here Wednesday night at 6.30. Okay, so we are in Romans chapter 7 this morning, verse 7, all the way to chapter 8, verse 2. And I want to talk about the tension and struggle between the law and and sin. So we're going to use that word law a lot this morning. And so I want to just define it for you so that you understand what's behind that word. When, when I say law or when the scripture speaks to that word law, what it's talking about is the Mosaic law, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It is the law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai brought down to the people, it contained the 613 commands by which they should live. And uh, when we're talking about the law, that's what we're talking about, okay? So stand with me. We'll start in verse 7 of chapter 7, read all the way to chapter 8, verse 2. We'll talk about this tension between and struggle between the law and sin. Chapter 7, verse 7 says, What then shall we say? Sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was... Sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You can be seated. Now, this is really a complex passage of scripture and I'm gonna work hard to bring clarity to it and to help us understand what Paul is doing here. So to back up, what I want you to remember is that this is a letter. When we when we say the book of Romans, really it's a letter. It wasn't a book. It was a letter written to the church of Jesus Christ in Rome in the first century. Uh, this church of Jesus Christ in Rome is thriving In a place and at a time where Rome is powerful, it is secure, it is political, it is religious, it has lots of wealth and economy, it's into all the things that you and I are into on a cultural level, art, sport, all of it, all the entertainment that we're into, they even have the best shopping around in Rome, you know, this is the place you want to go. It's the entire Roman Empire is run by Caesar. Caesar in the Roman Empire is Lord. And he has his own gospel. It's the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And it comes with power and might. And you do not cross Caesar. That would get you crucified. Now, the disciples of Jesus. Now, here, the Apostle Paul and those sitting in the church at Rome that are receiving this letter, they don't worship Caesar. They worship Jesus Christ, the risen Nazarene, who was crucified. Uh, The gospel of Jesus Christ, the risen Nazarene, says that we are justified by faith in Christ, that we've been made right before God in Christ, not because we lived perfectly. In fact, we were all sinners. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but because Jesus lived perfectly, because he died on a cross to save us from our sins. And justify us before a holy God. And that's all of Romans chapter one, verse five, uh, uh, all of Romans chapter one through Romans chapter five. 5:8 five, says, "While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Last week, we learned that we're, we, we struggle with sin. And Romans chapter six, seven and eight really dives into like personal sin. Um, it's real, and it's a tension. It's a struggle. And I think people in the church want to know where does the law end and grace begin. And so this section of the letter is really lasered focused on deepening the argument that Paul has been making up to this point that the covenant family of God that was once defined by the law is now defined by the Messiah and sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's a shift that's taken place, revealed in the law, fulfilled uh, by the Messiah in the law. But this shift is what he's talking about. Interestingly enough, unless, at least it's interesting to me, Romans 6, 7, and 8 are a picture of Exodus. Uh, Romans 6 shows us that we, just like the people of Israel, in the book of Exodus were in slavery, and captivity to Egypt, we were enslaved to sin. Just like the people of Egypt came through the waters of the Red Sea, it was parted. We came through the waters of baptism and were freed from slavery. Chapter 7 deals with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. It's that law that Moses received. A lot of times we think about the Ten Commandments or those two tablets, but it was actually much more, 613 commands. And he brought them down to the people, and this is this was basically how they're to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and how they're to love people, and all those commands related to uh, those two things. And so the law then that we talk about today is that Mosaic law that was given in Exodus. And the Jewish people in this church at Rome in the first century are now thinking: How, how much of this do we have to uphold? And the Gentiles that come into the church from the nations, how much do they have to uphold? Where does grace start and, and the law end? Um, we learn here that we are actually not only dead to sin, but dead to the law. Now, that should seem weird coming from people who stand up and say the very words every week. We're dead to the law. What does this mean? Romans chapter 7, verse 4 to 8, Paul says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to one another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that he may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, here we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So he's just saying, you're dead to sin in Christ, you're dead to the law in Christ. So it begs the question, and this is what he answers, so what good is the law? What good is the law anymore except to produce death? And uh, maybe we would ask it this way. We can't obey it anyway, so what good is it? Anybody ever felt like that? I can't obey it anyway, so what good is it? And this is, this is I'll bring f- uh, five observations, I think, that make all this passage make sense. The first one is this. In Romans chapter 7, 7 to 12, Paul says that the law is good because it opens our eyes to sin. It's good because it illuminates our eyes to sin. He says that sin is dead apart from the law, but the law makes it alive. It's like, I wouldn't even know sin if someone hadn't told me it was sin, right? So he says, he uses the covetousness. I wouldn't know I was coveting if the law hadn't told me I was coveting. I wouldn't know. It's bad, you know, to have other gods if the law didn't tell me don't have other gods Before me, I wouldn't know not to lie or steal or cheat or all those things. Apart from the law, I just wouldn't know. And so the law actually illuminates sin and produces death. Have you ever heard the phrase like ignorance is bliss? (laughs) He's kind of making that argument. Like it wouldn't be better not to know. Well, he goes on to say the good news is in all of that, the good thing is the law actually opens our eyes to sin. Romans chapter seven verse twelve. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law is the target. You may have heard that sin is an archer's term; that it is it is missing the mark of the target. Is anybody a terrible dart player? Like you can't hit it. Come on, be loud and proud. She is. Um, you can't hit it. You can't hit the mark. That's what sin is. It's an, it's like you try to hit that bullseye, but you can't. It's you've missed the mark, and that that law actually shows us what the target is. And in this way, it illuminates uh, sin. And according to Paul, that is uh, that that sin produces death, but that law is good for us. The second thing that is not in this scripture, but is in all of Romans, that we need to to observe here is that the law that we're talking about is fulfilled in the Messiah. He's, it's fulfilled. Now listen to uh, Matthew chapter 5, 17 to 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. This is Jesus talking. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. That iota and dot, that's the Hebrew little squigglies and dots. If you looked at the Hebrew language, he's saying not the smallest little thing is gonna go away from the law. I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. I came to make it make sense. The law is fulfilled in the Messiah, but there is this tension, this built-in tension. Jesus fulfills the law, we are under grace. The covenant is characterized by the Messiah and sealed by by the Spirit, and yet the law is still a thing. Why? Well, because it illuminates sin, because it helps us know. We just would not know our need for Jesus apart from the law. We would die a painful, eternal death in our ignorance apart from the law So the law is fulfilled in the Messiah. Third observation I would make is that Paul says that sin produces death in us, not the law, but sin. Verse 13 and 14 of chapter 7, if you go there, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It wasn't the law. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure for we know that the law is spiritual but i am a flesh sold under sin so here's the thing that law that was given by god to moses that was a spiritual act from a spiritual father and it is perfect and right in a spiritual way but paul is saying i'm made of flesh And this sin that's revealed by this law, this sin has spiritual effect that produces death in me. And if I could just shake this flesh, I would be okay. I think he begins to contemplate, you know, like why even give us the law? You ever thought about this? Like that tree in the Garden of of Eden? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why a tree? Why couldn't it just be perfect? Why did there have to be a tree that they shouldn't eat from? Why does there have to be law? Why does there have to be parameters, mitzvot, prohibitions, that say you should do this and you shouldn't do that? Why do we need that? Well, the reason is, in some spiritual way, In all of his sovereignty, God knew that it would be best if we choose to love him. He knew. He loved us. It's unconditional. But it would be best if we choose to love him. And yes, I believe in the sovereignty of God. You're going to see in the book of Romans, predestination unpacked. But there is a tension between predestination and free will, and I see it in the tree. I see it in the law. This is God saying, you can choose to walk in obedience out of love, or you can walk your own way. You can do what is right in your own eyes. And it, when we miss that mark, that sin The things that we do that are right in our own eyes, they produce death in us. It isn't the law that produces that death, but it's the illumination of sin and sin that produces the law. And Paul's got a flesh problem. I mean, he admits it. Does anybody have a flesh problem in here? I mean, come on. And that's the fourth observation. Sin is a real struggle for us. He, he, he unrolls that here in chapter 7, verse 15 to 23. I just want to read a couple of lines here from Paul. I think it's very authentic and transparent. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Has anyone ever felt like that? You know what's right. You know what the mark is. Your mind knows. Your heart is for it. But your hands and your feet, they don't want to pay attention because we're made of this flesh. I want to do do the right thing, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. He's saying, at least in doing what I don't want to do, I'm saying the law is right. I'm wrong, but I'm doing what I don't want to do. This is what he's saying. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, this is from the Apostle Paul. If you could rewind in your mind all the way back to message one in Romans, I said, this is who Paul is. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's got the Torah memorized, all the writings memorized. He has got authority among the Jewish people, clout. He is the best of the best. He's Roman. He's got citizenship. He understands all the Roman culture, and ideology. He's zealous. He's rounding up people who don't follow the law, bringing them to the temple to have them persecuted. This is Paul. And yet, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it changed everything for him. And the reason it changed is because he realized, I can have all the law memorized, and I can be zealous for the law, but I keep doing what I don't want to do, and I can't rescue myself from it. And Jesus rescued him, transformed him, changed him. Can you imagine the burden that was lifted from Paul? Do you remember the burden that was lifted from you? Sin is a real struggle, a real struggle. Now, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man or woman. Here's what we know about a room full of people, any people, but even in the church. If you're like, man, the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. The biggest hypocrite is me up here. And then the rest of you are right in line. Because we know what we wanna do What's right, but then we don't do what we want to do. This is the struggle with sin, right? Yeah, the church is full of hypocrites, but don't let that stop you from getting to Jesus because Jesus is not a hypocrite. He, in fact, walked perfectly. He did not miss the mark. He did not sin. He was crucified, and the Bible says that that he was crucified as as a human who never sinned, One who knew no sin was crushed by the weight of sin so that we could be forgiven and set free. This is the really good news. We all have this problem, sin. Now, here's what this is not. I've heard this illustration that Paul gives, this authenticity from his life used in church, especially in men's accountability groups, this way. I'm just gonna be straight up. I'm struggling with this for the last 50 years, and it's, yeah, I hate it, but even Paul, even Paul didn't do what he wanted to do, and did the things he didn't want to do, and we kind of like grace abuse, we like, we sin in our understanding of grace, and Paul's little illustration here, and we say, I can do whatever I, we don't say it this way, but this is how it plays, like, we don't, I can do whatever I want, because even the apostle Paul didn't do things he he should have done. I wanted to do. And that's not the t- totality of the, the scriptures, and that is also not all of Paul's experience. What you're reading here is a, is a clip. It's, it's, a, it's a moment where he's saying in the letter, like, I struggle to you. Sanctification, the process of being made holy, is forged in the struggle. The moment you stop struggling, your sanctification takes a deep dive toward death. The moment you start stop struggling, the moment you stop wrestling. If I'm in a wrestling match, and with an opponent, if I'm still wrestling, I, I, I I'm still in it. But the moment I stop, I'm done, right? This struggle that we're talking about here, this sin struggle, this tension, it is a real struggle, but we have to lean into the struggle and depend deeply on the Spirit in the struggle. Now, how do you do that? Well, let me just give you just four ways. First of all, let the Word do its job. Let the Word expose sin in your life. Let the law expose sin sin in your life. See that as a gift and not as, as, as a threat. Let the word expose sin in your life. So study the target. Listen to the word of God. Understand the word of God and let it expose personal sin. I'm talking about you. A lot of times people turn the word like this way to everybody else, right? Like, I see, see, I see, but let it expose Your personal sin, turn it toward you. Let it do its job. Lean into it that way. You ever been walking in a season, I'll call it a season of sin, where you just didn't want to read the word? You just didn't want to pray? It's because you don't want to hear the truth. It's because you don't want to be illuminated. You don't want light to come to the darkness. You're enjoying the darkness too much. And so we need to let the Word expose personal sin. The second thing that we need to do, once the Word exposes that personal sin, we need to expose our personal sin to another brother or sister. So this is church. It should be such that when the Word convicts me, the Spirit convicts me through the Word and I recognize I have sin in my life, I should be able to go to another brother and say to that brother, like, this is what I'm struggling with. I, I, I need your help. I need prayer for it. I need you to ask me about it. I need you to walk through it with me. Nobody fights alone. The minute you get isolated in sin, you take a deep dive. You need to expose your personal sin that the word exposes to you. You need to expose it to somebody else what you should find in the body of Christ every single time, what you should find on the other end of that, because that's a scary endeavor to, to, to like open your heart to somebody. What you should find on the other end of that is someone who has also been crucified with Christ and they no longer live, but Christ lives in them. They recognize they are sinners too. They struggle with sin, they have tension. And so what you should find is the grace that was offered to them by Jesus, that grace will be offered to you. The enemy tells you you will be judged if you expose your heart. The enemy tells you if you, if you, if you tell somebody that, you, you, this is gonna be the end of your life, you will take a deep dive. But the reality is, the truth of the matter is, when you take what's in darkness and expose it to light, you find grace and healing. And the enemy knows that. Can you hear me on this? The enemy knows that. This is the human condition. We wanna hide the bad things. Let the word expose sin and expose it to somebody else and find grace and healing in the body of Christ. It is very, very important that nobody fights sin alone. The third thing is we need to quickly repent by seeking forgiveness and walking in a new direction. Um, How how good would it be in the context of, let's say Angela and I get in a fight. I mean, we never fight, but if we did. Let's say we got in an argument, a fight, and uh, I was very quick to own my own stuff. Do you know how quickly that thing ends? Over. Over. Same thing is true in your relationship with God and other people that you're sinning against. If you recognize sin in your life, quickly repent. Don't like hold out for an intervention five years from now when your best friends are going to sit around and say, Do you know what you've been doing for the last. Don't wait for that. Just do this say, I'm, I am wrong here. Humble yourself. I am wrong here. Repent means to turn a different direction. Turn toward God, away from that stubbornness, that pride, that that stuff inside of you that you're holding on to. Everybody kind of wants to go, it's not me, it's you. Just repent. If If you were tempted to say, it's not me, it's you, you've got an issue. So Repent quickly and seek forgiveness, reconciliation with people that maybe you've sinned against. Reconciliation, forgiveness from God. And then the, the fourth thing is just to abide in, in Christ. It's the song that we sang, but it's that rhythmic uh, paying attention to your relationship with God. That, the Greek word abide means to remain. It's mino. It's just, just like to be at home with Jesus all the time. So, so read the scripture and let him speak to you. Pray and let him speak to you. When he speaks to you throughout the day, listen to him. Take note of it. Have ears to hear and eyes to see the things that he's saying to you. Sin is a real struggle. Uh, people often want to know. In fact, when we did our Frequently Asked Questions series, like how do you walk in the spirit? You let the spirit do his work. Let him expose sin through the word. Trust him enough to expose that to somebody else and let him do his work. It's not rocket science, but it is maybe fearful. How, how, how many of you think about like, okay, I send this way. You don't have to raise your hand on this, but if I told somebody I feel, I feel angst or fear even thinking about that. Most people do. I, I just promise you what you will find is Hope. You will find community. You will find rest for your weary soul that's been burdening this thing and hiding this thing, making up for it, whatever you have to do to act like it's not really there. We all struggle, lean into the struggle and depend deeply on the spirit. Paul kind of ends this section of the letter like this, like who will deliver me? Who will deliver us? Look at verse 24, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he ends like this. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I mean, this is the gospel. Like, I get it. The only, the only one that's going to rescue me from this wretched body of death is Jesus Christ Christ. Our Lord. I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh, I serve the law of sin. This is the tension. This is the struggle. I get the law, but my flesh is always wanting to do another thing. Who's going to deliver me from this? It is Jesus, the only one who can deliver you. If you follow the Exodus theme, he is the better Moses. So Moses went, delivered his people into the wilderness. They received the law. Jesus went. Into, into, into the slavery of sin, delivered his people. You're in the wilderness now. This sanctification is all happening in the wilderness. And R- Romans chapter eight, you're gonna find the promised land. In fact, let me just give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. Romans chapter eight, one and two. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and, death. and this is all of Romans chapter 8. Here's what you're going to find. Jesus, his work on the cross, though you still struggle with sin, you know what's right, you know the law, your flesh betrays you, you are being sanctified, you're fighting, you're fighting, you haven't given up, you are being sanctified in all of this, even though you still struggle, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, And Paul's assertion to the people there is like, this is way better than Caesar's gospel. When you cross Caesar, you get crucified. Jesus got crucified for you. It's different. It's better news. It's hope. It's eternal. It's life. The whole world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our parents, our families, our kids, our grandkids, Jew, Greek, slave, free. It's kind of one reason I want to meet Wednesday night and talk about Israel and Palestine. The whole world needs the gospel. The whole world needs the gospel. Starting with you and me. The tension And the struggle that is illuminated by the law and the struggle with sin, it it, it is real. It is a fight. But thanks be to God who gave his son, Jesus, to die on a cross to save us from our sins, that we might be forgiven, that we might be justified before God, and we would never receive condemnation in his sight, because he's just that good, just that good. As you bow your head, ask the Lord to say anything he'd want to say to you in these moments before we sing. Father, we thank you for your word that illuminates sin, helps us know how far off we are from you. Thank you for Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us and bridged the gap between our sin and our struggle in you. Thank you that Romans 5 says plainly, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, thank you for that, Jesus. There's <clears throat> there's nothing we could say, no, no act of worship, nothing we could do enough to say thank you. Thank you for the spirit that seals us. Thank you that we live as sons and daughters of God, part of the covenant family, through the Messiah, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gospel. That is good news. And for all my brothers and sisters, my friends, my family struggling with sin, in these days, God, I pray, would you sanctify them by your spirit, through your word. We give them a desire to obey you because they love you. And let them quickly repent when they sin and receive your grace. Lord Jesus, we are so undeserving, but so grateful. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.